Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey! Welcome to Going Off Track. It's your host, Brad Whirl, with my two guests, Stephen and Jonah. Hello. Uh, Thank you for having us. Hey, guys. I'm really, I've been trying to get you guys on the show for a long time. I'm glad you finally made it. We're so, uh, so psyched to be here. We are guys. to promote our new improv band. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. These guys have a rock band. Or is it punk rock? Nope. It is punk fusion. It is, uh, I play the electric saxophone. And Jonah is, um, I don't know, how would you describe your vocal stylings? like uh it's like math <laughs> mixed with art <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen that is why we do not do improv professionally nope we're not good at it not good at it today on the program we have brian cook um who plays bass in a band called russian circles you may also know him from a band called botch and these arms are snakes Oh, I had no idea. Yes, Brian has been in many amazing bands in Seattle, and now he lives here in Brooklyn. And my roommate Emily's friends with him, and she kind of hooked us up. And he, listeners of the podcast will remember a little while ago we did an episode with Def Evan, and Stephen couldn't be here, and Brian stepped in to uh, guest host and did fill that giant void. Fill the void, and uh, he did an amazing job. And uh, so we decided to do an episode with him as well because Russian Circles, if you have not heard them, are an incredible, super heavy, super melodic, amazing band. I had no idea he was in These Arms or Snakes. That band, like one of those bands that you remember the album covers as much as you do the songs. Yes. Like that one, I think, is a lost art. Good album covers. One of my favorites of the past like 10 years, that second Under Oath record. Um, Great album cover. I don't know why. It's like maybe, I don't know, it's that old that old tale of, well, if it's on vinyl, it looks better and it's bigger and it looks crappy on a cassette and we lost it. And then CDs had the long boxes. And I don't know. I just think people don't take enough time with the covers and the packaging as much as they used to. <gasps> Those are my thoughts and feelings. Yes. Well, yeah. Although if you do recall the days of commercial cassettes, that was pretty much the worst packaging yep. there ever was. Mm-hmm. That was worse, I would say. Yeah, than that's true. MP3 square box artwork but here's the thing with the packaging of music is i have the beatles stereo all their records and it came on a usb drive in an apple and so they made it art then you pull out the stem and there's all their songs plus 10 mini documentaries you know videos and it's there and it's like that should be the way that 
you know, you could get something digitally as opposed to, you know, a download card that's just like a hotel room key, you know? I think the ideal situation is get the vinyl with the download card, keep the vinyl in your friend's basement who has a house. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that works too. Hopefully not in a flood zone. <laughs> Good luck with your stuff. Do, do, do not joke about that. <laughs> you give me nightmares. No, nah, that room is sealed. Sealed like a drum. <laughs> tight djembe. Speaking of tight, <laughs> Russian circles. Super tight, live and on record. And Brian Cook, awesome dude. Listen to him talk. It's going on I don't have any children. I know very little about yoga perfect you're the, the ideal guest for us <laughs> um all right today i'm going off track our guest is brian cook who you may, thank you for coming by yeah thanks for having me you may know from botch these arms are snakes russian circles anything else uh yeah i don't know i, I played in a band called roy for a little bit i play oh was roy was kind of like Alt countryish sort of or no not at all no it, it kind of was it was a uh, yeah it was kind of like I think we wanted to sound like Flying Burrito Brothers but we sounded more like like Weezer's Blue album or something on accident <laughs> yeah I really so. like that I, how many records did Roy put out we did two full lengths and three EPs that's so, awesome yeah short lived but uh but it was fun and then yeah I played on uh. A couple Mammifer records and a Mouth of the Architect record, but yeah, probably Russian Circles and These Arms Are Snakes and Bots are the, the key ones. Yes. And how long have you been in Russian Circles now? Uh, I started playing with them in uh, October of 2007, but I was kind of just filling in for a record. And uh, I don't actually know when I officially became a member of the band. It was kind of a gradual process over the years but yeah basically like five or six years at this point okay what was the logistics of that because those those guys are in chicago right yeah and you're in seattle yeah okay or i was at the you time was. you was you were yeah okay uh this coffee isn't <laughs> kicked in yet <laughs> things will ramp up shortly yes uh yeah they were uh you know they were set to record a record in seattle with matt bayless who was uh a friend of mine that recorded a bunch of botch stuff and these arms are snakes stuff. Um, and they had, uh, they split ways with their original bass player, but they already had this time kind of lined up. So, um, we had already been friends like Russian circles and these arms are snakes had done some shows together and we kind of had all the same, you know, business associates in terms of like, you know, booking agent and management and all that stuff. So just kind of, worked out where I was like, oh, I'll play on your record. You know, I'm a fan. I know how you guys work. And you know, I think their plan was originally to just work as like a, a duo or find someone out in Chicago. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just all worked out really well. So ended up that I just now commute out to Chicago when we do stuff. That's awesome. Uh, so when did you move to, to Brooklyn? I moved in January. How do you feel so far? It must be a big change. It is a big change. You know, uh, over the course of 16 years of touring, um, I really came to hate New York because it stressed me out. Yeah. Like, it's the worst place to play when you're on the road. It, yeah. Like, like the days leading up to New York, I would just get more and more stressed out. And 
once we left, you know, once we got into like Connecticut or down into, you know, New Jersey or whatever, I'd always just feel this wave of relief come over me. So, uh, I moved out here because my, uh, my partner got a, got a fancy job. And because I work in Chicago, I didn't really have any reason to put up a fuss. Um, but you know, I, I think for my partner, he was like, Oh, I've always wanted to live in New York. I've always wanted to have this job. I was like, all right, but you gotta keep in mind, I hate New York. That city stresses me out. Like, so wait, I'll, how long have you it. been here now? Uh, since January. Okay. So about six months. Are you settling in at all? Yeah. But the great thing is I came in with such low expectations that like <laughs> almost immediately I was like, Oh, it's totally different when you live here. Yeah. And you have to park a cargo van. Yeah. You don't have like a van and trailer <laughs> yeah. and like, you're not like dealing with, you know, like some bouncer at a club that like hates his job. It's like, no, you just live your life and it's, it's awesome. But my partner who had like these, you know, things where he thought he was going to be Carrie Bradshaw and sex in the city or something. <laughs> just kind of like, Oh God, the city is so stressful. Everything's so expensive. <laughs> like you know it's so like lonely and isolating so it's yeah I, i've been enjoying it and he's and he's acclimating but uh it is definitely a change of pace from seattle definitely were you did you grow up in seattle also or did you move there for music stuff no i was a military kid so i kind of moved around a lot when i was younger um but spent most of my childhood in hawaii and then moved to washington um after i had started high school and then just kind of settled in seattle at that point gotcha were you playing bass at that point yeah yeah i started playing bass in uh in hawaii had crappy punk bands out there before i moved what what's what was the scene like in hawaii are there bands and stuff like local bands or because i know they have festivals there once in a while yeah you know it used to be really cool because it used to be uh a stopover for people going to japan and australia so you'd have a lot of just random stuff that would happen you know a band would fly in for 24 hours and then play a show and then carry on to japan so my first show was fugazi uh back in november of 91 and i saw dinosaur jr shortly after that and pantera and you know so a lot of bands were going through but then locally you know there's a lot of stuff going on too just because there was so much you know cult, like isolation that if you wanted to see music regularly you had to start a band so um yeah, in the early 90s, there was a lot of ska bands um, and just a lot of weird, like, hybrid music forms just because it was, like, people didn't really know it was cool, especially right. in the pre-internet age. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know, funk seems kind of cool, punk seems kind of cool. Isolated on a desert island yeah, trying just, to figure it out. It's yeah. awesome. Like, Red Hot Chili Peppers mixed funk and punk pretty cool. I guess we can do that, too. So it's just, like, yeah, I still have a bunch of, like, CDs and demos from bands back there, and they're, like... Uh, all pretty cringeworthy at yeah. this point. But what was the name of your funk punk band? My funk punk band was called uh, Without Influence. <laughs> nice. And we were so shitty. And it <laughs> makes me so incredibly happy that I lived before the age of YouTube or the internet. <laughs> and that there is no record of us ever existing. And all of our demos were on Amway cassette tapes that like dissolved after two <laughs> listens. And so there's... No, I, I don't even have a copy. There's no record of it anywhere. <laughs> oh, man. It was like, like, we made bands like Crimp Shine sound like they were like super tight <laughs> and like sophisticated songwriters. So so I always wondered like, how often, like, what island were you on? What did you live on? Oahu. So how much would you, 
move from island to island? Like, would would people like if you were in a band, would you go to like another island to play a gig? I, I I'm really unclear like how easy that is or no. I mean, there really wasn't. Yeah, that just didn't really happen. I mean, getting from an island to island was only like you know maybe like a thirty or forty five minute flight, depending on where. you But it's going. definitely a flight. But it's yeah, it's a flight. You don't take a ferry. Or- no, there's nothing like that. Yeah, and so. You know, there there were bands that would, you know, everyone would play Honolulu if they were going to play in uh, in Hawaii anywhere. Occasionally, bands would go over to Maui and play Maui, but that was pretty pretty rare. Right. So it was kind of like, not only were you stuck in Hawaii, but you were usually just stuck in whatever island right. you were on. And yeah. Go and gig. It's really it's so interesting. <laughs> I just realized everything I know about Hawaii is from Dog Bounty Hunter. It's, it's a good reference point. Is it? Because I didn't realize that weird, like, kind of seedy, like, super, like, sketchy side of Hawaii. I feel like I just have seen the kind of touristy side. Yeah. There's, you know, it's a, it's a very expensive place to live, and there's a lot of, of poverty there. But, you know, it's also, you're living on an island in, like, an island paradise, so the poverty there isn't, like tragic you know right. like it seems like, like if you're going to be homeless like scrape together the money get to hawaii yeah and then sleep on the beach that seems well, really food better. does grow on trees there literally yeah, yeah. i've seen it <laughs> i mean it's, there's there's a homeless guy in our neighborhood called the tuxedo man and he wore a tuxedo but he was homeless like, <laughs> it was just like he slept in the dugouts at the baseball fields and the public parks and took a shower at the public pools and or yeah. a tuxedo and was like super put together. Yeah, it's weird. Sometimes I feel like those are the kind of people like you look down at them and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, no, like they had shit figured out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they didn't have all these stresses that He's we probably have. Happy. Like, yeah, so I'm totally happy. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't need a cell phone. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the last survivor, he won't have the brain tumor. <laughs> Maybe the, the one without the tumor. <laughs> Man. It's got really dark. <laughs> um, well, one thing that I think, so how did you kind of link up with Dave and all the botch dudes in Seattle? Was that just through mutual friends or? Uh, Dave Knudsen and I were in a math class together. Really? Uh, my junior year of high school. And he was talking to a girl sitting next to me uh, at the start of class and was like, oh, do you know anyone that plays bass? Like want to start a band and i chimed in like i play bass and uh you know what what kind of stuff do you want to do and i think all of his reference points at that point in time were like Soundgarden, like rage against the machine helmet and i was i was like you know kind of like the purest punk kids i was like oh well (laughs) helmet's kind of cool i guess He's like, oh, I want to do like a, a cover of Dead Kennedy's Too Drunk to Fuck, too. And I was like, oh, all right, sign me up. I'm in. I'll, <laughs> I'll be in your band. And uh, again, glad the internet wasn't around because the first like year and a half of that band's existence was just like awfulness. Like really? lo- lots of Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> like no real like a uh, hip hop element, but just like definitely some slap bass and uh, a little too much groove. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, then we all kind of started getting really involved in in hardcore and like bands in Seattle, like like Undertow and uh, Strain up in Vancouver that were doing more of the sort of dark metallic hardcore stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, that's way cooler than <laughs> you know any of the stuff we're into. So yeah, all kind of went from there. 
It's amazing. I mean, to me, it's just so crazy, like having been in a band with Dave and then playing in a band with Mike, who's also this kind of like mad genius on guitar. I mean, what's it like kind of playing with guys like that who are approach the instrument from such a unique way? Uh, it's definitely interesting because they're both very, uh, like they're both, I mean, they're both really good players and they're both, you know, they both had, uh, an element of, and they both like had punk and hardcore in their upbringing, but, um, especially with Mike, um, you know, for him, it was always like Van Halen, you know, and like all the sort of stars of guitar world magazine and stuff like that. Those were his like big influences growing up. And then he sort of, he discovered shellac and Fugazi and shellac and Fugazi were the things where he's like, Oh, like there's this whole world of like wrong guitar playing. That's actually super awesome. Right. Right. Sort of untrained stuff. And I think, uh, you know, I think that kind of got him sort of hooked in, in underground and punk rock stuff. Um, so, you know, for me, I didn't pick up a bass until, you know, I'd already been listening to like, Dead Kennedys and Minutemen and stuff like that. And I just wanted to play like Claws Fluoride or Mike Watt. Yeah, yeah. So I was always coming from an approach of like, you know, the fewer strings the better because I'm, you know, not going to be a, a virtuoso by any means. Um, and I just wanted whatever's going to be the easiest to make music on. Whereas I think David Mike kind of came more from like really taking their instruments seriously, really wanting to be like the best players they could be. So. I'm the weak link, basically. But that's how I always feel. I feel like everyone feels that way. Okay. Yeah. I think maybe a little bit. Everyone has the. I think I just feel that way the majority of the time. No, so. no, no. I do too. And it's like when I watch Mike play, sometimes it's like, oh, if I had like applied myself for the last 15 years <laughs> instead of like getting high and like watching Pink Floyd videos or something, I would be this good at something. Yeah. Like it's incredible to watch it, dude. Yeah. I mean, Dave too, in in um, Massa Bear, like. Yeah. It's it's a. Uh, it's kind of funny because, you know, like I, I play guitar every day, but I play like for half an hour or so, maybe. Yesterday I didn't even play guitar, you know, like then you hear about, you know, like the Ornette Coleman's or the John Coltrane's that just like played all day. It's like, who does that? Yeah. You know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, wait, like Mike and Dave do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's what you have to do to get really good at something. But I feel like you have to have like this kind of like drive that I had when I was 15 that I kind of lost at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely kind of the in the same boat, but you know, I, I think there's also like, uh, I think in today's musical climate, sadly, I think there's not as much emphasis on like being really good as at an instrument as there is like, oh, but I had this really creative idea, you know? right? So I think a lot of today's music is like really more about like new approaches to music and new ideas as opposed to like being really good at an instrument which is kind of sad you know like I, I think it's ideally there's like a good balance somewhere between like being Ingve Malmsteen and, and like writing kind of empty shallow music but just being like a shredder and you know I, I think I agree with you that I think that it's not that there's less people really trying to play I mean from what I see here every day mm-hmm. I've been really I, I, I can be pretty optimistic because I think that the the uh, percentage of people engaging in music is broader. Oh, I think the percentage of people that are really good players is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. 
But then you've also got an additional group of people that are making music that are doing kind of what you you're talking about. Yeah. That are just trying to come up with like creative ways to to make music, but not necessarily studying their instrument. But I've been shocked that like because the way this place works here is we get a new band every day. Just mm-hmm. about it's a, it's like a free it's a community based studio. We get like bands come in and record for free and like and it's all unsigned bands and you know like unknown bands. That's the whole point. And it's been really like the level of of like musicianship has been really high, but just like the level of preparedness and stuff has been way higher than I expected when we started. Like huh. I thought I was just going to see a lot of like crappy musicians, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't you feel like we're in Brooklyn? Well, so, Brooklyn has a lot to so do. It's like with if it. you're in a band, you have to pay for a practice space. Right. You have to be kind of serious. Yeah, yeah, you do. You have to be on top of it. But also, anytime something like that happens, you know, you just you've got a huge influx of people. So I would expect there to be a lot of crappy bands here. Yeah, even though that's true. There is, even though you do have to have your shit together. Um, but not as many crappy bands as you thought there'd be. <laughs> I just feel like, I mean, my era was the 90s, you know? Like, I was East Village, 90s, in bands. And there were some great bands, but there was just a lot of crappy. I mean, considering how fucking hard it was to live in New York at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I mean, I know it's expensive as hell to live out here in Williamsburg now. But it, the East Village was really tough. It was being gentrified and, like, it was just, it was expensive. And it was the same deal. Like, rehearsal space was expensive and... I think it was stunning at how many bad bands were able to kind of <laughs> slog through that. <laughs> I think with like in the nineties there's also this sort of mentality though where it's like you didn't want to look like you were trying too hard. Like Yeah, you know, there I think was, it was definitely a leftover yeah, punk mentality. You know? <laughs> and so it was kinda like yeah, you didn't you didn't necessarily want to be like too good because then it was just kinda like, Oh, what do you like we left all that shit behind in the eighties, you know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, now, the gloss and the slickness, yeah. But now it's like kind of swinging the other way, where it's like, dude, like we have way more like guitar, you know, centric bands where like dudes can't really play than we ever need. So like now, like yeah, people are kind of branching off into other things. Where it's like, yeah, I just think it's, I think you know, we're definitely seeing a reaction to the last twenty years going on in today's musical climate, where it's like less focus on guitar, like less focus on like being bummed out and miserable all the time and more just sort of like, you know, dance oriented electronic stuff, which is, you know, which is what it is. But. Yeah. I, did you guys see this thing? Uh, some, one of the dudes from the Bronx posted a photo of like black veil brides use fake cabs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those people were freaking out and I was like, dude, are you guys serious? Like everyone does it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's such, I understand like that, that band is an easy target cause they look like pro wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I feel like there's also like that such a layer of hypocrisy where it's like, like, yeah, everyone's been doing this for everyone's years. Everything's fake. Like everything you see is fake. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that toured opened for Metallica in the probably like the early nineties. And he may have been pulling my leg a little bit, but he he said, "Yeah, all, they had all they just had all fake hollow Marshall cabs." But then he he also claimed that what they had under the stage that they were actually playing through was rolling jazz combos, which I feel like may have been a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I worked on Tasty Chaos, and it was like as I lay dying, Deftones, all these bands, and a lot of the bands had fake cabs, but it's for scrims, and it's like they stack them up, yeah. and then they have like a half stack amped yeah. behind. It's like who cares. Yeah, it's like all part of the show. It's kind of like, an old uh, argument. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess because I saw that too, 
And like, but I didn't see anyone like really outraged. I mean, like the I guy, felt like people were more saying what I was saying. Like, yeah, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why are you? <laughs> but and, but my whole thing is, it's like, but it's like I don't I don't really know how big black veiled brides are. But like, I'm like, it's cool when like Kiss does it, or like when Metallica does. They have like a huge stage they have to fill yeah. up. But, yeah. Like, how big is? Let this? me tell you something. Right. Definitely not Kiss level, but way bigger than you would think they would be. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's my my friend uh, tour manages them. Uh, this guy John, who used to be the drummer in Daughters. Oh, really? And I never like it. Never ceases to amuse me that like the drummer from Daughters now has to like tour manage. That is so funny. <laughs> Something man. that musically is like the antithesis to, to what Daughters is all about. Yes, but, it is. But yeah, but that's interesting. Like that idea and like what we we're talking about earlier. Because I almost feel like it used to be so much harder to make music. Where I feel like that weeded out a lot you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. had to like convince your mom to buy you an amp. like you can just buy like an ipad and have like every amp built into it mm-hmm. like and i feel like the fact you had to like dig through records and find stuff i know that makes me sound old but i felt like it was more work and it wasn't as easy to do and that made the quality better for some reason yeah. or is that just me being super jaded no i i i kind of agree and i don't i kind of I, I i've thought about that a lot myself uh, but I, I kind of go back and forth on it because on on the one hand, like I remember towards the end of the '90s, going on tour and just being so bummed out. I, I remember talking to uh, one of the guys in Blood Brothers when they got home from a tour. And, you know, they'd been out on the road for like six weeks. And I was like, "Oh, did you guys play with any good bands?" He's like, "Nope, not one. Like every band we played with was terrible." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that's really like shitty to say." But like actually thinking back on like the last tour we did, like. Yeah, there was just like so much sameness and not yeah. like creativity, and I think a lot of it was just because, uh, you know, with the kind of music we were playing, it, it existed in such this vacuum where you didn't want to like absorb too much stuff on the periphery because there was a sort of purist aesthetic with like hardcore and punk rock, where it's like, you know, unless you're listening to Slayer or like, you know, Morrissey, like you don't like venture too far out of that right that box. Well, kids are tunnel visioned, man. You know, like I was, and you know they don't want the they don't want you to put an opener on that's going to shock them. Or yeah, I feel like there's like a weird reversal going on now, where it's like the internet's changed everything, and everyone's like has so much more exposure, and there's this new sort of like open mindedness, and now you're getting like all this stuff where it's like, why are you mixing house music with like metalcore? <laughs> yeah, <and> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, Cross pollination is not like. <laughs> necessarily a creative thing like it doesn't like i think it's like dj culture and just grabbing samples and stuff from other yeah. thing and now that's works its way into like instrumentation yeah it's really weird though i agree but it, it almost makes me like like i read an interview with that band nails do you know nails at all like they're a hardcore band on yeah, southern lord but i think so like the interviewer brought up my bloody valentine i was like oh what do you think about the new my bloody valentine record and the guys like heard the name don't know anything about them it's like, well, what do you, what do you listen to? And I was like, I listen to a uh, death metal, Japanese hardcore, and crust. That's it. And I was kind of like, man, that's 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 bold in this yes, day and age. Yeah, it's almost like that attitude like 15 years ago would have bummed me out. But like in this day and age, I'm almost kind of like, man, more power to you. Like, yeah, stick to your guns. Like, don't feel obligated to like, you know, have to check out like the new Animal Collective or new Radiohead record. Just like 
keep listening to Gauze yeah, and, yeah. and Morbid Angel and like stay the course. No, that's true. That's interesting. Yeah, it's funny because Cast Iron Hike just did a reunion show mm-hmm. at Vitus and my friend was going, he's like, do you want to go? And I was like, no, I never got into them. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, they didn't scream. Like they were on trust, they were on Trusco or whatever. They didn't scream. I was not interested. Didn't care. Could have been like, listen. I probably would like it now, but you know, you get so into like, you're like this is what I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's super. It's super weird. Like, uh, uh, I was reading uh, the Tumblr blog for one of the Pitchfork writers, and he was talking about uh, poptimism and like versus like rockism, and you know, rockism. I think is kind of like <clears throat> an interesting concept you know like I, I would never want to be considered a rockist in that i don't want people to think like there has to be a loud distorted guitar in order for like it to be have any value you know like i do think there is value in having like a wide range of musical interests you know but you know he's talking about optimism and how optimism is like no like there's this whole issue with the rock mentality where it it goes beyond just like loving distorted guitars, but you know, there's this ingrained belief that, you know, albums are more important than singles or that, you know, you have to be a virtuoso to play live or that, you know, you shouldn't be blanketly targeting your music towards a certain audience. And there's all these sort of like weird things that I never really thought about being like specific to rock music in terms of like how you approach writing music. But you know, I feel like, like you were saying with Cast Iron Hike, yeah, it's bad if you won't listen to anything that doesn't have screaming. Right. But at a certain point, I think it's good to have, like, no, I like music that I c- has this sense of purpose to it. You know, like, you can't like everything in the universe and you can't pay attention to everything in the universe. To, like, decide that you like music with a certain kind of value, I think, is, like, actually kind of a good thing. And, you know, for me, it's like, I like an artist that, writes a good album you know i don't like bands that write like a couple singles and then have a bunch of filler on an album you know like i don't like bands that are you know based around producers like polishing everything right and then they're just sort of like you know the the face that the manager kind of sticks into the picture so i don't know i think i think it's good to have at least some sort of uh criteria for what you enjoy musically yeah, no, I agree. I mean, how often do you feel like with your band, you on tour, you get put on with like token instrumental band? Is that a big thing or is it more just like heavy bands or is it more? Because I feel like your band is so hard to pigeonhole, I guess. Yeah, we definitely get like a lot of instrumental bands. For a while, we were getting like a lot of like kind of ISIS sounding bands where it's, you know, 10 minute long songs that, you know, are heavy and quiet and heavy and quiet. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, that's kind of what what we do, so we shouldn't really be too... Uh, I think what you guys do is a little more complex than that. I, I hope so, too. <laughs> but I, I, can, I can imagine, like, you know, a booking agent that's... It's not, you know, post-rock or metal or whatever. Instrumental stuff isn't, like, his primary focus. It's just like, I don't know, shit sounds the same to me. Like, yeah, you guys can play with Russian Circles. That's fine. Um, But, yeah, like... You know, we're we're getting ready to go out on tour with with Chelsea Wolf in in Europe, and like to me, that's the ideal because it's the same sort of mood. You know, she she kind of has a similar vibe that she exudes, but it's stylistically very very different. And I think that's kind of what we 
what we sort of prefer to go for. Yeah, sort of like Clutch. <laughs> <laughs> clutch was a weird one. Clutch was not the best pairing that we've ever <laughs> ever uh, aligned ourselves with. I had a friend's band open for Clutch, and she was like, her boyfriend's band, and it's band Dub Trio, and she was like, push your way up front, like we're backstage. I was like, okay. And it was like five minutes before they went on. I was like, I have to push my way through all these dudes with shaved heads and goatees who are seven times as big as me who all think I want to get up front <laughs> and I don't want to. And it was terrifying. Like it's so many weird elbows and dirty. Lo- I was just like, please let me through. Dude, that is such a weird demographic. <laughs> what can, how would you describe that demographic? I don't even know because I don't. Do they even, listen to other bands? See, that's what I don't really, I don't think so. I think yeah. clutch fans are literally like the kinds of people that like they go to, Maybe one or two other shows a year. Yeah. But they always go to see Clutch and, you know, they know the whole catalog and they really don't care who's opening. They don't want to see them. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just there to see Clutch. Um, yeah, we did five shows with them and it was, uh, it was us in this band called Viking Skull and Viking Skull was opening. And Viking Skull, they were British, but they had some sort of affiliation with the whole CKY band i think it was like a the same drummer or something um so they would open then we would play and then clutch but on a couple of the shows there would be an additional local opener and on any of the shows where there was the additional local opener you could just by the time we would hit the stage like there was already just so much animosity (laughs) and like impatience and anger it was like we could have sounded exactly like clutch and we would have like gotten booed off stage and in fact, I've heard stories about Clutch having side projects of the band's members opening the Clutch shows and getting heckled by their own audience. Because <laughs> awesome. like, we don't care about your side project. We just want to hear, you know, a show guy named Marcus, like, get off, get off stage. It's like, dude, that yeah. dude's going to be, you're bumming out the dude that's just about to play. Like, <laughs> come on. That is so funny, man. Yeah. That's a tough. It's totally not surprising. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what what else those people are really into. That's there's weird. There's shows like like I went last week to see uh, the adolescents and subhumans played. Okay, Um, and I went and it was like all the same kids like who I saw shows with when I was sixteen. It was all these like kids with mohawks and like just all these crust punk kids who like lived in the neighborhood. I think or like and I was like, where do you guys come from? Like where are like it was so weird. It blew my mind. Are they all like? In their thirties now, or it was it's, yeah, it's, it's like a new batch of like sixteen-year-olds. Like there were some younger kids, but I feel like a lot of them were like my age. Yeah, and they were like complaining about how like, they're like Williamsburg's a bunch of hipsters and stuff. I'm like, really? You guys are having like yeah. this is a conversation? Do you guys have? like where would you rather have the show? Like you're <laughs> yeah. totally openly accepted here. Like, yeah. <laughs> are, are you bummed about how many? There's too many vegan options in this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's too much like liberalism and open-mindedness in this neighborhood. It was like, so funny. Yeah, they were just like rallying against it. I was like, yeah, it sucks. There's like this beautiful waterfront right ten feet from us. Yeah. Like. <laughs> oh, I hate that there's like cool record stores here. Like, <laughs> I'd rather live in Hayes, Kansas, where shit's actually cool. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever. I saw them. Then I saw your old tour mates, Rancid, uh, who were incredible. Yeah. And then pros. I saw Social Distortion on Sunday. I had like an old school punk week. Oh, Wait, was that God. at Warsaw? Yeah. That was so weird because I went out to Matchless, that you know, that bar down the street, yes. and I had no idea that Social Distortion was in town. But like. All these like powerlifter, like brute dudes, like came in. I'm like, dude, there's like 
there's like literally like a weightlifting like convention or something in town. But then I realized they're all wearing social distortion shirts. And I was like, is there like some sort of weird like social distortion weightlifting club in town? And then like I walked yes. through the park and it was like more like muscle dudes. And people are working on hot rods. Yeah, in social distortion <laughs> shirts. And I was like, dude, this is so bizarre. There is some sort of social distortion weightlifting competition going on. It's like, uh, oh no, just that's their audience and they're playing at Warsaw. Yeah. Okay. And I felt like I was a weight or maybe like one of those medicine balls at the show because yeah. everyone was so wasted and again, so much bigger than me and just like no personal space. And that place, I don't know if you've been to a crowded show there at Warsaw. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. And it's like I was trying to look at the stage through like a doorway because I couldn't even get into the main venue. It was so crowded. And uh, yeah. Well, it's like I went and saw Swans and Chelsea Wolf there and. It was sold out, but it wasn't. It wasn't awful. Like it was still navigable. But I, you know, based on what I saw outside of the social distortion show, like one Swans fan equals like yeah, you and, know, and like, that's a or like one social distortion fan equals like three Swans. Fans. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing. I have friends who are booking agents, and they'll like think of the caps for rooms based on how big a band's fans are. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, if you go to some, like, weird indie band and everyone has these, like, skinny dudes, that's yeah. one thing. But, like, a clutch show or whatever, like, yeah. it's, like, everyone's three times the size. It oh makes God. a big difference when you multiply it <laughs> by a lot. It's, it's really weird. It's a really weird thing to think about. That's totally true, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't know what the breakdown is, but that would be interesting. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other like fat bands would be. <laughs> I'm trying to think too. I feel like, um, I mean, I think metal in general has. There's got to be some bands that have like a big, bigger, big fans. Think I of think the Midwestern so. bands. Midwestern or maybe yeah. like I don't know. I feel like Insane Clown Posse. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Insane Clown Posse is some pretty big dudes. Uh, I, I remember when when these arms of snakes toured with ISIS. Uh, uh, ISIS's tour manager at the time was this guy Yoris, who's a Belgian dude, and uh, uh, Yoris was gay. I was gay. We'd both watch merch. He'd watch merch for ISIS. I'd watch merch for these arms of snakes. And Yoris's type were like skinny, waifish, like anorexic looking boys. Uh -huh. And my type is like like kind of heavy set bearded tattooed dudes and we would just look at each other's merch line just like dude we need to trade places i just was all like the burly bros and these arms of snakes are all like dudes buying you know youth size t-shirts like, so funny and we need to swap this out right now but yeah, i just had some had some hefty fans i think it's just that they smoke so much weed they wind up eating more food yeah um, that makes sense yeah do you follow what's happening, obviously, with gay rights and that kind of stuff right now? It seems like there's so much going on. Do you stay on top of that, or is it kind of a peripheral thing? I try to. Uh, I, I felt kind of bad, because I did some interview with, uh, uh, was it Visions Magazine, I think, in Germany? And uh, they're like, oh, you're, you're gay and you're a musician. Like, Can we interview you as a gay musician about you know what's going on in America with, you know, marriage rights and all this stuff i'm like yeah sure that's cool and this german interviewer was like so much more knowledgeable about <laughs> the entire history of like doma and like right. gay rights in the u.s and i was like i thought you just wanted like to know what it was like to be like a gay musician like i 
I am no historian. I am no political expert. Like you are running laps around me with like, like all this information. So I'm definitely not as up to date as I, I should be or as knowledgeable. Was but. he was he angry at you for for not being knowledgeable? Because that would be the way. No, those uh, interviews are always <laughs> German interviewers are always kind of angry. It seems like <laughs> he he was very polite. Yeah, that's good. So that that was good. Like I, you know, I still felt like a dumb American by the end of it. But you know, he could have been a lot more. Uh, aggressive about it so it worked out okay i feel like with like especially with the marriage stuff like whenever i turn on the news now and they're talking about it i feel so uninformed i'm also like wait i thought we were past this whole thing yeah like i thought this was we this was legal and we Dude, moved on like to the california next they just they're trying to like like now block like they're, they're, there's people that are actually have nothing better to do with their time than to actually like go to court to block other people yeah, getting married so weird. Yeah. I mean, who are these motherfuckers yeah, they, like oh my god so frustrating yeah, it's like, like why do you give a fuck yeah like how does it impact your life at all i think that's the most frustrating thing like i don't really care like if people are you know homophobic or don't like the idea of homosexuality but like what bearing does it have on you whatsoever yeah. that yeah. like two consenting adults like want to enter into like a legal arrangement yeah like like that's that's what you want to dedicate your time and energy and like, you know, I don't know. It's so beyond childish. Well, it's, it's like the equivalent like of like when you see, it's like when I see one of my kids like playing with the other one's toy and the other one has no interest until they see that one play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, 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 like, it's, it's, like, yeah. It's a, it's a good it's analogy. So unexplained. Well, it's also like, it's weird to put that much energy into something like t- just like negative and taking away stuff from yeah. someone else. Like you, sh- why wouldn't you want to put that energy into something positive? Or, yeah, like global it's, warming. Yeah, it's like it's why don't you resolve weird. that and then you can like yeah. get upset about two people or getting married. Or it's like all the Texas abortion stuff going on right now. Or it's like I'm like you know even like you know even if you're coming from like a pure place where you really believe like no like you know. Uh, a fetus at you know six weeks is, is is a human life like i think it's really worth protecting even if you're coming from a very pure place as like a male politician wouldn't you just decide to let like female politicians yeah. be the like exactly. doesn't isn't it don't you just think it's a bad look <laughs> yeah, to yeah, be yeah like no yeah. i'm telling you what you can do with your body no, it's yeah. like it's like if they were making policy for like african americans you know yeah it's so they'd really they wouldn't get away with that yeah you know? it's yeah, and after the whole, like, you know, filibuster thing where it's like, wow, that was, like, so heroic and, like, the people spoke and it's like, really? you're going to come right back and just, like, force it through? Like, yeah. God, no, you're an that, asshole. That, like, that side of the of politics doesn't care what the people think or what they say, yeah. obviously, and they haven't for 20 years. But the, the thing is, it's like, gay marriage is going to be legal everywhere eventually. Like, abortion's going to be legal everywhere eventually. Like, marijuana is going to be... It's just, like, this older generation yeah. has to, like, die out or whatever. And it's, like... I just... It's so frustrating. It takes so long. Yeah. It's, like, how I felt about, like... This is a weird comparison, but, like, these, like, shitty screamo bands, like, with, like, the weird haircuts. You Like, like 15 years ago, I was, like, ugh, this trend is, like, over. <laughs> like, I was working at AP being, like, it's never going to get more ridiculous than this. <laughs> and it's, like, the same thing. It's, like, this stuff just takes, these cycles take so much longer than you think. And you're just, like, how, how? Yeah, it's so, it's so weird because I, like, I keep, I guess I just keep assuming that, like, young kids just aren't into, like, 
screamy stuff anymore that they're all you know interested in like ravey like dance like just right, this whole right. sort of like regeneration of like 90s like sort of like house and dance music and stuff so whenever i see like a screamo band that's like kind of taking off and doing well i'm like what uh, he, that's dude screaming has never been more accepted in music but in a context that you and me could not grasp yeah but it's it's like teenage girls like that's what they listen it's not weird for them to listen to just a dude screaming but it's over dance beats or like this yeah. weird breakdown or it has absolutely zero context yes. whatsoever and it's like, yes like, what are you even angry about like you're just like <laughs> you were just singing about like drinking 40s and partying and now you're like screeching like <laughs> yeah i sound so old right now no i know <laughs> dude, i feel so this way bizarre. all the time like what it's good they need us to feel this way to validate them yeah <laughs> well i always thought like you know i was like someday i'll be like old and like bitter and jaded and like i'll listen to like whatever the kids are into i'll be like oh it's just noise it's like that has yet to happen instead i'm just like why, like why are you doing that that's like that's so lame and not like daring or right, right, it's right, just right, like right. kind of tacky and corny like like i want to be kind of like horrified by like whatever the next generation does and just be like yeah, like how are you going to top anal cunt? Like, be more offensive than anal yeah. cunt somehow. <laughs> yeah, and instead it's just like, oh, this is just like, like music that I made fun of when I was fourteen. No, totally, know? like so bizarre. But I will say, like your musical trajectory, like from Bosch to these arms to Russian circles, like there's definitely a big difference there. It's all been super innovative, and, and I feel like heavy. But it's like what you're doing now is. Do you feel like you're kind of progressing as a musician, kind of along the way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, even with with Botch, I think uh, I think one of the reasons we kind of we, we broke up was because we we couldn't really figure out where to go from there. And you know, I, I don't think we were really bold or creative enough to like develop that sound any further. Um, so with with Snakes, it was like I still wanted to make like loud and aggressive and angry music, but like I want there to be a little bit more variety, you know. With Bach, it was always like, yeah, there's got to be dynamics, there's got to be drama, like, you know, compared to a lot of other bands that were kind of doing similar things to us, what we sort of felt was, you know, our advantage is that there was some sort of, like, dynamic and variation, um, and it wasn't all just, like, you know, everything dialed into 10 all the time. Right. And so with Snakes, it was, you know, trying to sort of further that, and I think with, with Russian Circles, it's even... uh even more sort of uh, an attempt to to sort of still have like you know these really loud heavy moments but offsetting that with as many different kinds of dynamics to make those moments all the more powerful you know there's, there's just like a lot of a lot of heavy music that to me is it's really great for like three minutes or five minutes but like when you try and do a whole album's worth of it it's like like it's just one dimension and it doesn't really go anywhere and at a certain point like the power diminishes because it's not you know there's no change it's just like one setting right and so uh i think yeah, the one thread that's kind of gone through you know botch and snakes and russian circles is it's you know you still want to have that level of intensity somewhere but like how can you make it all the more powerful by you know showing the contrast of it um, I don't know. No, that's really cool. That's a great answer. I mean, as far as Botch goes, I like the fact that, like, it didn't drag on forever. It was, like, a very set period. I mean, mm -hmm. people must bug you about Botch reunions all the time. 
It comes up a lot. Um, do you do you think that's something that would happen, or do you sort of like the fact that like it exists in this one space, and then we've moved on? Uh, I, I like that it's a closed book. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's something that's been talked about uh, among the members of the band, and you know, it, it's gone from a point where it was kind of like it's never going to happen to like you know it, it might happen at some point, but. For me, there's not really any interest in doing it just because uh, I felt a lot of closure with how it all ended. You know, it's like we decided we we're going to break up and we still had time to like do a West Coast tour and a final show and our last EP. And so yeah. there was plenty of time to like get what you wanted out of the band and see it through. And we and we all kind of knew things were winding down even before um, before Dave left the band and we we called it quits. So... Yeah, like trying to add anything onto it to me just seems like it might sully the reputation or just like, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I feel so good about the way everything went down and felt good about the last show and, you know, the last record where it's like, if we tried to do anything else, it's like, you know, I don't know, the next three Star Wars movies or something. Right, right, like, right. Like if you just left it as it was, it was like such a good thing, so... um with snakes, there's been, there's been some talk about doing more stuff with snakes, but I don't know what where that's at, and that's a little bit of a different story. Just because I left the band, or I basically told the band that you know I wasn't going to be able to like commit to like another album and tour cycle, but you know I kind of wanted to have the same kind of closure with Botch, where it's like, well, we can still do last shows and like right. tie up all the loose ends and like make sure everyone kind of gets what they want out of it, but. Instead, it was kind of a thing where it's like, actually, let's just leave it as it is, and maybe some at some point we'll do like a final show or final series of shows, and you know, now like five years later, people are like, oh, maybe that would be a good idea. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah, but after five years, now it's like, now it's a reunion. It's not yeah, like a yeah, yeah. show anymore. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where that's at or if that'll ever happen either. But I kind of think you know, it's for the most part, I think that stuff's always cooler. You know at the time as opposed to in in hindsight yeah i mean it, it always seems better in hindsight right right but then like trying to drag it into the present it, it's i don't know it's never quite the same no i agree what about what's the status of russian circles right now you guys writing or uh we just finished a new record uh in may it's getting mixed right now and then it should be out in october oh awesome who'd you record it with we recorded it at Electrical Audio in Chicago. Uh, Greg Norman engineered it. Uh, Brandon Curtis from uh, was in Secret Machines and he's playing with Interpol now. Um, and he produced our last couple of records. Uh, he produced this one and he's mixing it. Um, yeah, that'll be out on Sergeant House in October. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's been a long process, but uh, it's coming together. Yeah. So, yeah, like we're, you know, it's getting mixed right now. So we're just getting new mixes every day and, you know, saying turn that up and turn that down. And the, the best thing ever, I feel like, is not being around for the mixing process. Yeah, yes and no. Like, I definitely hate mixing. And I think there's definitely something to be said with, like, when you have, like, all the dudes in a studio and then a guy, like, behind the faders, like, trying to, like, I feel like everyone's just like, I'm not loud enough. I'm not loud yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. not loud enough. So I think it's definitely better when some guy's like, here's what I'm hearing. 
is that what you're hearing? And you can kind of yes. assess it at that point. Yeah. I think that's definitely a, a better approach. The unfortunate thing is that we're all sort of spread out. So it's like lots of phone calls. Right, right. And then like, you know, lots of emails and it's just, it all takes a lot longer this way. That you're getting through it? Getting through it. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm a sucker for instant gratification, I guess. So I'm just, now I'm just like, dude, we finished recording that like a month ago. Like I just want to yeah, yeah. hear it and have the finished product. But I understand. What about just like Brian Cook, day-to-day life, Russian circles aren't on tour. What's your kind of Brooklyn routine like or what What else kind of do you do? You do journalism also? Is that... I do a little bit of writing. I uh, I write for The Stranger in Seattle just as a freelancer. So I just do some, you know, like little blurbs about upcom- upcoming concerts and stuff. Um, and they have a blog that I sometimes contribute to. But otherwise, I've just kind of been laying low since I've been out here. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of touring and a lot of recording. Um, but yeah, it's wandering around New York and yeah, I'm trying to get sort of acclimated to living in a new city and yeah, I don't know, I'm feeling like a bum. Like, yeah. like I've been contemplating getting a job just so that I feel like a contributing member of society when I'm not on tour. Just, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like when I was, you know, like in, in these arms of snakes and stuff or botch is like, man, it's so crazy if you could like make a living just doing music. And now I'm kind of in that situation, but I feel like this weird, like punk rock guilt where it's like, Oh man, like I'm not giving anything back. Like I'm just like this leech, like this artist leech on society. Like, <laughs> like I even like, dude, touring is such you paid your dues, Brian. Come you, on, man. I, when I, I mean, I used to look at it like, cause I totally, I kind of, get it i get that feeling but you got to realize that when you're on tour you're actually working 24 hours a day like your sleep doesn't even count as your personal time because you're usually doing it with somebody else in the room that you'd probably prefer not to be there you know (laughs) like you're sharing hotel room you're in a fucking hotel like you're working 24 hours a day so like most people work eight hours a day so right there when you get off the road you're entitled to like if you're on the road for two weeks, you're entitled to to four weeks of leisure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of it it's it's not even like a rational response, but it's like the it's the come down where it's like when you're out for like six weeks and you're waking up every morning, you have a new destination, a new purpose, and then you like get home and all of a sudden it all just stops. Right. Yeah. Especially for us where we don't we don't like continue with rehearsals or writing or anything. Like it literally just stops. Right. And then I think I just like the it's like you know, like post-traumatic stress disorder or something. Yeah, no, it's like, it, why are there not like <laughs> gunshots going off everywhere? And bomb, you know, it's like yeah. everything just like stopped and it's like the silence is so weird. Yeah, yeah. I totally, I recall that. It's, and then is it like, because I've been in these situations too, is, is your partner like, dude, wake up. Like then for the other person, it's always like, this guy doesn't do anything. <laughs> and you're like, I've been working for two months. Yeah, I think I, think I get a little bit of that. And I, I think I also have to like, just remember that, like, my partner Reno doesn't want to hear, like, every in-joke from tour. <laughs> like, oh, this one time on tour, like, it was so funny. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> care. Like, you know what used to happen to me when I would get off the road is for the first week is, like, I would be a total lug. Like, you know, I'd roll out of bed whenever and I'd just be, like, kind of, like, semi-conscious until, like, 8 or 9 o'clock and I would 
pop into full like alert aware mode and like took me a while to realize like that's because that's when you know you were get you were working yeah yeah totally and when you're on the road for the rest of the time you're actually kind of trying to be in a zombie state so you can get some rest yeah you know you're like laying in the back of the van like trying to sleep yeah it was so bizarre and it would go on for like a week or two after i'd get off the road as i would just be completely useless until like eight or nine and then com- it would flip it was like a switch went off yeah i think i just, I just get moody like right. yeah i just get like weird like anxiousness i'm like ah, like i'm so used to constantly being in motion and then like that inertia just like yeah, that like, emotional inertia just keeps going. You know, it's weird. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, it was like Keith Richards was the one that said he never got in trouble on the road. It was when he got off that like he started doing drugs, and because he just yeah, he was busy enough and happy enough being on tour. Yeah, it was when he was sitting around on his ass. <laughs> I could I can totally see that because even yeah I mean, even it's like when you're on tour like you know I. I you know, I drink pretty much every night on tour, but like, I also have to play, and I don't like being like hammered or a mess on stage. Right. So it's like, yeah, I'll have like a couple beers before we play, and then I might have a beer afterwards or whatever. But like, I'm always like fairly together, and like, you know, have a responsibility. You know, like have to get up early and drive and all that. But then you get home, and it's like, oh, if I go out out to a show, like, there's not the hour stretch in the middle where I'm like working it's just, right right and then like yeah you get in big trouble yeah it's like oh yeah i have, have to like alter my behavior when i'm at home <laughs> yeah you've got to learn that lesson i mean you learn that lesson in touring too like because we all know our first tour where we didn't have that lesson and we were fucking hammered every night yeah. yes <laughs> but it's interesting especially i would imagine living here because it's like you don't need a car you mm-hmm. don't need to drive anywhere like it is really easy to just go crazy and like hail a cab and like wake up in your bed and be like what happened yeah yeah. i was always like i was always lucky that way in seattle because i lived in in the capitol hill neighborhood and i haven't had a car i didn't have a car there for 10 years so i was always sort of spoiled with yeah like being able to just like stumble home you know but yeah it was was the same thing back then where it's like you get home from tour and all of a sudden it's like oh I, i have to like totally rein in my behavior because it can't just like spill over into like my everyday life where i'm going out every night and like drinking with my friends that are coming through on tour right 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 right. yeah i got got to the point where i was feeling bad like uh my friends pelican like we this band we were snakes toured with a bunch and russian circles toured with them I felt like every time they came through Seattle, they would just see like the worst behavior of me where I was just like this sloppy, drunken mess. Right, right, right. Like, dude, I swear to God, I'm not like this like, <laughs> six days out of the week. But yeah, like, we had we had a band when from Providence that used to come down and play with us. And like they'd usually come down on a Friday and we would do like maybe do a show with them on Friday or Saturday. But we'd go out the other night. And like by Sunday, I remember this guy, Paul, the lead singer, like every time he'd just be like. He'd be like, it'd be two o'clock in the afternoon and we'd be rolling out of bed. And he'd be like, God, he goes, dude, I, I don't know how you can live here. I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> I'm like, we don't roll this hard every single night. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, would, you would die. And, uh, that's, I feel bad for like, I have like one of my, like a friend in like hot water music. And I'm like, they'll like come into town. I'm like, yeah, we can get wasted. He's like, I guess. He's like, every night everyone wants to get wasted. Yeah. It's one of those bands and they're just like. Uh, it's like it's not as fun for us every single night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was yeah. That was the way these arms or snakes were. We would just 
began to have this reputation of like, oh, they like to party. And so then it was just like every time we rolled through town, like that was everyone else's like thing they'd been looking forward to for like several weeks. Right. And, you know, we're all just like nursing the hangover from the night before. It's like, I, you want to do a shot? Okay. Like <laughs> we've been waiting for you guys, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was rough. Like towards the end, I was like dreading going on tour because I was just like, man, like, 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 I know, like, we're always, like, responsible in the moment, but, like, when I, like, reflect back on things, I'm just, like, God, there's so much potential for, like, bad things to happen when you're, like, that wasted in, like, an environment that's not, like, your hometown. You yeah, know? yeah. It's, like, oof. <laughs> and then, like, Tim Casher's there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's, like... like... Yeah, I've been away from home for four weeks. Why wouldn't I just get drunk? Right, right, yeah, right. No, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, a. Uh, it's a rough one. I was, I was talking with the Deaf Heaven dudes. Actually, I was talking with Marriages. We're on tour with them. And uh, a couple nights ago, they played the Milestone in North Carolina. Did you ever play the Milestone? No. You ever play the Milestone? I don't think so. Milestone's been around forever. It's like an old, like, dingy punk club in, in uh, Charlotte. But one of the last Snakes uh, tours, it was a winter tour, so I was, like, not drinking for the whole first leg of it when we were up in, like, the Midwest and the Northeast. When we finally got to Charlotte, I was like, okay, we're in the South. We're out of, like, the danger zone with weather and whatnot. So I'll, I'll have a drink tonight. And the rest of the band, like, went to the bartender and was like, dude, you got to get him hammered. And by the time we played, like, I was blackout drunk, like, leaning up against a pole on stage, like, having to, like, steady myself while I'm hitting pedals, like, <laughs> like blackout drunk. Like, the only real memory I have of the night is playing with the bartender's gun while smoking a cigarette, like, mm. at the bar. And I don't smoke or, like, fool Play around with, with guns. guns. <laughs> and, yeah, just, like, like, yeah, just memories like that. It's, like, dude, like, fun at the time, but the idea of, like, going on a tour and knowing you're going to have a night like that, like, almost makes me kind of terrified at this moment in my life. Like, in my mid-30s where it's, like... I can't do shit like that anymore, man. Like, you only get so many free passes before something really bad happens, you know? And Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, Russian Circle Zone, Brian Cook. What an awesome guy. Good dude. Yeah, really good. Good dude, good bands. I got again, I had no idea. It's so many awesome bands he's already played in. It seems like that certain style does, it's obvious there's just like a rotating cast. Yeah, it is. It is very incestuous, especially coming out of that kind of Seattle scene where Botch and all that stuff was. It's uh, those guys just you know, one band breaks up, they start another one, they spread out. Isn't it funny when you meet someone who has a Botch T-shirt? You know what you're getting into. You yeah. know the kind of person they are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and they're another one of those bands where when they were around, they were great, but like not that, not a big band. And then I feel like the legend lives on and gets built up, and uh, yeah, rightfully Reu- so. Reunion impending. We hope. Hey, if you dig Going Off Track, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash track. You will find not-so-often alerts by me because I forget it's there. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Going Off Track. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe let's do us on iTunes. That thing's getting kind of popular. Yeah, leave us a review. Five stars if you feel like it. If you feel like it. I don't it, think I can again. No. <laughs> I'll no. try. They've stopped, they've stopped us from doing it over and over again. <laughs> if you go to our website, goingofftrack.com, there's a killer little button there called Donate. Uh, if you do that, that you know helps us keep things going. If you don't, continue listening. It's entirely up to you. This is like PBS. Watch if you want. Pay if you want. No tote bags from us, though. But, but more educational. But more educational. Because what's more educational than PBS... 
Three guys in a studio talking with people. You're going to learn something you never will because we asked the hard-hitting questions that we prepared seconds before we've asked them. It's true. <laughs> Spontaneous interview. Right. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.